This morning we are continuing on in our series by the book, by the book, because we have understood some things that are necessary for us to embrace from the scriptures. And just to recap a little bit, we want to, um, j- thus far, what we have learned in this series is we have learned the importance of the Word of God. We established the foundation that the inspired Word of God becomes very important in our lives because it must become the true source of our living. We understand that this Word, this Bible that so many people paid such dear prices in order to preserve and people have spent lengthy hours translating it from one language into the next trying to do their best to make sure that they conveyed the mind and the heart of God. All of these things are there for us not to just let them collect dust, praise the Lord. Or just to have it open on some pedestal in our home to Psalm 23, because the Lord is my shepherd, glory to God. But it is for us to be able to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to him. And so this is the source, this is the theonustos, the divinely breathed in thing that gives us the power to accomplish whatever God has called us to do. And then last week, Pastor Robert did a wonderful job. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Glory to God. Speaking to us about Christianity by the book, Christianity by the book, and he helped us to understand that a Christian is a person who is a cross bearer. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you bearing your cross? A Christian is one of those people who is following in the footsteps of Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you following in the footsteps of Christ? A true Christian is one who denies themselves daily with one desire in their heart, and that is to please Christ. Look at your neighbor one more time and say, neighbor, are you denying yourself daily? And do you have one desire? And that desire being to please Christ. Because if you have those things, if you are a cross bearer or if you are a person who is walking and living their life denying themselves, if you are a person who is following in the footsteps of Christ, then glory to God, you are a true Christian. Hallelujah. According to the scriptures, I know Pastor Robert, he said, it's the 30 minutes is, you know, not enough time to explain what a Christian is, but I think we got the gist. Amen. I think we understand this, and, 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 and the reason why this, this is so important, this series, is because God has called us. He's called you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. God, I, I need you to talk to each other, glory to God. He's to say, neighbor, God has called you to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. To bear fruit, glory to God. To bear fruit. This is what God has called each of us to do. If you're a Christian, there should be Christian fruit coming out of your life. Hallelujah. In other words, if you say that you're a child of God, your life should reflect some stuff. Your life should demonstrate this reality. Your life should show forth something, and it is called fruit. And what we understand is that our lives, when we say we're going to bear fruit, our lives should reflect the will and the power of God in every area. That's what it means to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. It means that in every area of my life, my life reflects the will and the power of God. That means in my finances, that my finances should reflect the will and the power of God. My marriage should reflect the will and the power of God. My relationship with my children should reflect the will and the power of God. The way that I deal with my, with, with my, with my neighbors in my neighborhood should reflect the will and the power of God. Church, hello. 
the way that I am in my workplace, you need to ask yourself a question. How many people are coming to you when they're going through crisis saying, listen, you know, can you pray for me? If you ain't got nobody coming to you, you know a whole bunch of folks are going through crisis, glory to God. But if you ain't got nobody coming to you to ask you to pray for them, one or two things is going wrong here. Either you are not being a faithful witness or you are not giving a good testimony. Uh-huh, somebody. I know, I know, I know I wasn't going to get a whole bunch of amens, glory to God. But listen, one or two things is going wrong. Either, either enough people do not know that you are a child of God who has sold out the whole route to Jesus Christ and they're not sure if they can come to you or you have told them about Jesus but your life has told them something else. See, when you and I are bearing fruit the way that we're supposed to bear fruit, people are going to see that. And even though they may not want that salvation fruit right away, Oh, they're going to want the joy fruit you got. Hello. They're going to want the peace fruit you got. They're going to want the patience fruit. They're going to need that, and so they're going to come. Because what? Because you and I are bearing fruit. But just to give a little, little lesson here, because we're talking about the Word of God, how is fruit produced? Fruit is the product of a seed that is sown. Fruit is not just something that just happens because you wish it to happen. Fruit is something that occurs because a seed was sown in the ground, and so what happens is that seed produces whatever, whatever kind of seed it is. It has the potential and the ability to produce something. And so when we're looking at us being Christians, and the reason why we're talking about living by the book is because the Bible tells us in the book of James chapter 1 and verse 21 that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save our souls. We're supposed to get rid of that filthiness and the overflow of wickedness because what? Because all of that stuff is choking out the life of God's word in our lives. And so we understand that God's word is God's seed. You remember Jesus gave the parable. He talked about there was a sower who went out to sow seed. And then, you know, later on the disciples are like, man, why are you always talking in parables? And he says, you know what? To you has been given the opportunity or the right to, to receive the revelation of the kingdom. And he says, let me explain to you, the, 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 the seed is the word of God. So the seed that is, is being deposited or should be being deposited into the life of a child of God is the very word of God. Therefore, if that seed is the word of God and it's entering into your life and the scripture says that the word of God is able to save your soul. What does that word save mean? That word save means to deliver. Hello means to heal it means to make you see because when we come to God we're all broken and all messed up and we are incapable Jesus said it clearly he said you can do nothing apart from me and he's talking about bearing fruit and so when we come to Jesus, we are broken. We are incapable of bearing good fruit that is kingdom fruit. But what happens with this word, and this is what is so wonderful about the word of God, is it doesn't just come into our life to command us. It doesn't just come into our life to direct us. It, it doesn't just come into our life to give us principles to live by, but it enters into our life and literally brings healing power with it. And that way what happens is, is as God's word enter into your heart, as his word enters into your soul, you know what occurs? What occurs is there is a healing that takes place inside of you. And so now your mind releases the word of God to do what it has to do in your life. Your attitude begins to change because what happens is your thoughts begin changing. Your ways of viewing things begin changing. And then all of a sudden your attitude begins to align with those thoughts that are entering in. And so now your mind, your thoughts begin changing and your attitude begins changing. And then suddenly 
your actions begin to follow and people that you used to hate and used to could not stand now you begin praying for them you begin demonstrating love to them people who you couldn't forgive because they hurt you and did you wrong well what happens is suddenly something changes inside of you because you realize father when I'm praying to you your word instructs me it says that I am to pray father forgive them Lord as they or forgive me as I have forgiven them and so I realize that there's a connection to my relationship with you and all that this happens because of what because of the seed see it all goes back to the seed see, see I, I, I want you to understand this church I didn't I, I didn't entitle this by the book because you don't need it trust me when I tell you the church needs the word of God trust me when I tell you that one of the greatest plagues and one of the greatest issues within the church today is a lack of intimacy with the word of God, especially in us Pentecostal folk. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I know y'all ain't going to like this. I'm, I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm just saying, you know, some of us, we feel Pentecostal because we speak in tongues, glory to God. Mm -hmm. We believe in the gifts as you want to call yourself Pentecostal, call yourself whatever you want. But, oh, but you know, for us folks that believe in that intimate divine connection to God. You know what we do? We'll leave our Bibles on the shelf. We'll leave the scriptures somewhere else because that's not as important as what? My feelings. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You see, you, 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 I was talking to someone the other day and, and, and as they began to communicate with me about some issues they were having, this is what I did. I said, well, the word of God says, and they cut me mid-sentence. They said, I, I know what the Bible says. And I said, okay. So then why are we having this conversation? Since you know so much, you don't need to talk to me. Amen, somebody. Because I'm not going to tell you anything except what the word of God says. And you know what the issue is? Is that we, and I'm just going to say it like it is. The problem is we don't have faith enough in this word. Mm -hmm. We don't have faith enough that this word can accomplish what it says. If God says he wants something a certain way, he has given us the vehicle through which transformation begins. You are not renewed in your mind because your hairs stand up. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You are not renewed in your mind because you felt some chills run from your head, you know, to your toes. No, no. You are transformed when you have an encounter with the word of God. What do you mean, Bishop? Hold on a second. I'm not talking about you running into your Bible. What I'm talking about is when that worship time, those hairs standing up, those chills that run from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. See, when those things are combined with a requirement that is found in the word, you are having an encounter with the word of God. See, because you're not just entering into the presence of God Almighty to get a little touch, a little dabba do ya. I feel a little better about myself now. Okay, I, I must, I felt you, so I'm good. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Oh, he loves you. Oh, he, he loves us all. For God so loved the world, glory to God. He loves every sinner. He loves every saint, but that doesn't make you right with him. What we have got to have, church, is a true devotion to the word of God. 
And this morning, the topic that we are touching on today is one of my favorite topics. It is one of the ones that I love probably, you know, more than any other topic, and it is that of worship. That's what this scripture is about here. That's what this text really deals with. It deals with this worship, this thing called worship. And the reason why this is the third message, really the fourth, but actually the third message, because the first message I did in two parts, but the reason why this is the third component is because it is a vital component in this series. Why? Because the source of our lives must be the Word of God, foundational. The source of our lives must be the Word of God. Our heart is deceitful, church. Our emotions will lie to us. One day we will want to pray. The next day we will not. One, one Sunday we will want to get up and go to church. The next one we will not. One Wednesday night we're going to want to go on ahead and do what we got to do to make it to church. And the next one we will not. One day we're going to want to witness to the whole entire world. The next day we are not going to feel like doing anything. We need to get away from being bound by by our feelings and start being bound by the Spirit of God through His Word. The Word of God must become the source of our lives, the source of every decision we make. And when the Word of God is the source of our life, then we will submit to the cross. When the word of God is the source of our lives, we will walk in submission to the cross. In other words, we will deny ourselves. We will turn away from sin. We will do what is right. We will do what God has called us to do. That is when the word of God is the source, then we will submit to the cross. But here's the beauty of this. When the word of God is the source of our life, when we are submitted to the cross, there is a sound that comes from our life, and that is worship. That's the way this works, church. The source has got to be the word. Our submission must be in carrying our cross. And the sound that comes from us will be the, 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 the sound that the Father is searching for. Here's the problem. The problem is that our definition of worship has limited the defining power of true worship in our lives. When we think of worship, what do we think about? Let's be real. Automatically, we think about music. Is it not? I mean, let, let, let's be honest. Some of us might, might, might think about bowing, but I think mostly everyone in here thinks about worship, and the first thing that comes into their head before, you know, the theological side of them may kick in, singing. That's worship. Is that worship? Is, it, 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 it's, I mean, I mean, I mean let, let, let's be real. Is singing, is, is, that, is, that, is that, that all worship is? Is, is? is that the beginning and the end of worship? As I was, I was getting ready to prepare this message, well, actually a couple, two weeks ago, I received an email from Ministries Today, and it's their, you know, their, their online ministry magazine. And on the front cover of the magazine, I didn't look at it until I was getting ready to prepare this early, earlier in this week. And the front cover of the magazine, I opened it up and said, let me check it out. And it said, canned worship. Can you see that? Canned worship. And I said, glory to God. Ministry today done hooked me up, glory to God. Someone did a little bit of research. And I looked at it. And I'm going I'm to quote what he writes in the front here. He says, we've refined it. We've packaged it, we've branded it, we've marketed it, 
and we've made an industry out of it. But is God buying our modern worship? We're giving Dove Awards, no problem. We're giving all kind of accolades, vocalist of the year, male vocalist of the year within the Christian. Yeah, glory to God. Ain't nothing wrong with that, right? You know, God bless someone with a good voice. Let's, let's, let's give him props. Hallelujah. I was listening to a CD one day. I still have the CD. I have to say that this portion really makes me sick. But as they're introducing one of the, the person who's there, I would like to introduce to you the Prince of Praise. The Prince of Praise. Hold on a second. There is only one person in worship who gets the attention when you are going to limit it, because that's what you're doing. When you're going to confine it, when you're going to can it. Hello. When you're going to confine worship to a song, don't give anybody else any glory. Don't give anybody else any honor, because it's supposed to be directed towards who? The King of Glory. It is not supposed to be directed toward you and all of your abilities and all of that great stuff. But anyway, the first thing I would like for you to repeat after me is say, before we can or will ever desire to rethink or redefine our understanding of worship, we must acknowledge our present condition. So before I go into giving you a definition of what worship is from the scriptures and show you what worship by the book really is. Before I do that, I, I think we need to look at some things here. As I read this quote to you about us refining it and all that is good stuff and packaging it, the question is, we're, we're canning it and we're putting it all together. And, 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 and here's, 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 the, here's the first question we got to ask ourselves. It is, who is it that we want to buy our worship? Do we just want someone to buy a CD that we produced? Or do we want God to buy that worship? Do we want God to receive what we've put together? That's the right mindset. And listen, I want to say something. And, and look, just look around really quick. See these speakers? See these speakers? See like four keyboards? Praise the Lord. I'm playing two of them. Hallelujah. I'm actually playing, I'm actually playing all four today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I, play, I, I was playing three of them, and I'm trying to get this one right. You know, we got some congas here. Praise the Lord. Bass amp. We're waiting for a bass player. Glory to God. Father, bring him. The wonderful drummer. Praise the Lord. One, two, three. Cordless microphones. If you go to the back, you see that board, like 56 channels. Just crazy. Glory to God. Why do I say all of this? Because I want you to know that I do believe in all of these, you know, utilizations of modern technology. I do believe that we live in a different era than the days of the Bible. I, I know that wholeheartedly. And so I am in no way, shape, or form discrediting or dishonoring what reality is. This is the reality. I believe in all of these things. But these things cannot be the end. These things cannot be the end of what worship is. Because if, if it is... And, man, we have fallen way short of what worship really is. So we have some issues. So we need to look at some problems here. I want to read a couple of quotes from this um, article. Worship music, as it, becomes internationally, as it has become internationally known, 
not only has garnered recognition as a legitimate musical genre within Christian music, but also has spawned into its own concert circuit filled with artists who perform, market, and receive awards for songs labeled with a broad stroke as worship. In other words, there's people that are, we're saying that it's, they're calling it worship, and it's not really worship. It's good music. That's, that's what it is. Praise the Lord. Good music. They should call it that. Good, wholesome music. That's what they should call it, but they call it worship, okay? They got to find a place to put it, so they put it there. All right. In the process, see, here's the problem. It's okay, but here, here's where the issue comes in. It's okay to have all of that, double wards everywhere, all over the place. It's all right to have all of that because that's not inside the church. Our issue is what happens in the church? How does this affect us, we, the church? How is this whole influence? See, because we got to realize that we're influenced in some way, shape, or form. In the process of all of this happening, churches worldwide established a culture that currently expects nothing less than professional-sounding, creatively packaged, multi-sensory, Sunday morning stage production. Mm-hmm. Whether intentional or not, we produce worship in a can, something that can be contained and restricted, delivered to the masses of local consumerism, churchgoers, and reproduced for any struggling pastor who wants to use it as a tool for growth. Sounds like an issue to me, church. Because you know how many people, and, and I will tell you right now, you know how many people walk into churches and they don't come back because the music wasn't right. They couldn't get past the music part. Happens all the time. And, and, and you know how I know this? I'm going to tell you how I know this. Because folks write books about this. And those books are bestsellers. Hello, somebody. So what do they do? They go and they ask people. Well, you know, they, they ask this question, purpose-driven life. This is what they did. He'll give you his testimony. Went, knocked on doors over there, asked questions. What is it that you would like from your church? Hold on a second. Glory to God. How about what would God like from his church? How about that question? But anyway, because we're concerned about gathering people, because that's the way that we, you know, package that, right? What is it that you would like from church? You know what they communicate? Well, you know, when I went to church, you know, the music was boring, had these hymnals. So, you know, I like to have a little bit more contemporary. Okay, we got that. When I went to church, preaching was just too loud. Y'all are just hating me, glory. It's all right. Someone asked me to be quiet. I said, look, I tried, but I don't know. I doubt I'm going to be able to tone it down. This is my passion for Jesus. I'm sorry that it doesn't fit into your homiletical. Uh -huh. <laughs> so communicate. Well, you know, hymnals, we don't want hymnals. Okay. Have you ever read some of those hymnal songs? I'm, 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 try, I'm, try, I'm trying to be serious. I, 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 seriously. Have you ever really sat down and read some of those hymnal songs and looked at the depth of thought that went into those songs? The focus of the cross that was there. The focus on Christ that was there. The focus on what was done for us on Calvary that's there. That is missing in our present day worship. Look at a hymnal one day. I got one in my house. We got one when we were in some chairs, and I was looking. I was like, man, I want to learn how to play this song, glory to God. These were songs that were born of people who were what? Committed to the word. See, today, today, you know what we have? We have people that are writing songs who are committed to what? 
I, I liked it. I got three answers here. <laughs> Writing songs, making money, and my own answer to the whole situation, they're concerned about how people feel. So they ask these questions. Okay, you know, what is it that you would like in your church? And so they start with this music. So you know what? Your music cannot be too loud, cannot be too long. Mm -hmm. It's got to be relevant. So this is what has to happen in order for you to have a worship experience. For you to attract newcomers. For you to attract the lost. For you to attract those who are younger. Hello, somebody. Because, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to lose our youth if we don't get our music right. Hmm. Help us, Holy Ghost. So this is what gets told to us. So now here's the, here's, here, here's, the, here's the issue. The issue for me is that the Bible is clear that we are to sing, that we're to clap, that we're to dance, that we're to shout unto the Lord, and that we are to be expressive in our worship and our praise. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know, glory to God, that he is holy, that he is perfect without blemish, and that he deserves the best that we can give him. But the question for us is this. Are we giving him the best of what he wants? Listen, I want you to know something. No matter how great you can sing, I highly doubt that you will ever be able to compare to Lucifer. You thought I was going to say some other angel. No. To the devil. Why? Because this guy, look, he was ridiculous. You want to talk about the one-man band? This guy had timbrels and horns, and I mean, he moved, and it was worship and glory. I mean, it was just uh, in harmony. I, this guy was crazy, church. And you know what God did? Kicked him right out of heaven because all of that craziness that he had went to his head. Listen to me. We cannot produce anything that God wants other than giving him what he really asks us for, church. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Amos. The book of Amos, chapter 5. And don't worry. We're going to get back to the book of John, chapter 4, my next point. Hallelujah. But Amos, chapter 5 tells us something. When you're there, say amen. amen. And before we read the scripture, I want to say this because we know some things about worship already before we even read this text. And it is that in the Old Testament, in the book of First or First Samuel, there's a king by the name of Saul. You all remember King Saul, right? He was the first king of Israel. And as he is the king of Israel, he does something. He goes and he and, and, and conquers this land. And as he goes into this land, and conquers it, God gave him specific destructions and instructions. And he said, when you go into this land, he said, you need to go on ahead and kill. You need to destroy everything, everybody. Don't save anything. This is what he tells him. Well, Saul comes out of the land, conquered the land. He had the victory just like God promised he was going to give him. When he comes out of this land, the scripture says that he kept some of the animals. And he kept the king alive of that land. The prophet Samuel comes up on the scene. And Saul is excited. He's like, I have done the will of the Lord. 
I have done everything that God has said. In other words, I've given God everything he asked for. And Samuel says to him, what is that bleeding of sheep that I hear then? And now the whole situation changes because Samuel walks onto the scene. He should have been hearing silence. And he hears these noise of these sheep that are crying. And, why, and, and it's not the sheep of Israel. And he's like, but, I, I, but and did this is what he says. Listen to what he says. He has a good defense. I kept the best so I could sacrifice to the Lord. Why is this a problem? Okay. First of all, from the foundation of it, God didn't say, save the best for me. He said, kill it all. That's what he said, right? Here's the issue. The issue is, this is this what Saul did. Saul went ahead and he wanted to show Israel, man, I'm the best king ever. I am so devoted to God. I'm not, I'm, you know what? I'm keeping all of this good stuff because I'm going to give it to him. In other words, what is he doing? He's taking the focus of the worship that's supposed to be given to God and putting it on himself. And what does God respond to him? He says, listen, God desires obedience over sacrifice. He desires us to obey him. Listen to this now, church. You got, you got to get this. I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little softer than normal. He desires our obedience more than he desires our song. You hear what I just said? He desires our obedience more than he desires us to make all kind of noise. And I'm going to prove it to you right now in the scriptures. Look at the book of Amos chapter 5 and look at verse 21. Look at what God is speaking to the children of Israel. He says something that is so sobering. He says, I hate, this is God speaking, I despise your feast days. Those are some strong words, don't you say? And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Look at verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Israel, highly impressed with themselves. Bringing God, they, 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 they make sure that they don't miss a beat. If it was in our day, they're here on Sunday, they're here on Wednesday, they're here for men's meeting, they're in the mentoring program, they come out and worship on youth services. Look, if it was our day, that's what it would be. Here at every single thing, they, they, they making sure that they have all of the sacrifice, they have everything in line the way that it's supposed to be. They're at every place doing everything that the law commands them to do, and God says, it disgusts me. Church, I want you to understand something. Just because it impresses us doesn't mean it's acceptable to God. Just because we like it doesn't mean that he likes it. Just because we think that it fits the bill or that it measures up doesn't mean that he does. 
And so it is important for us that when we look at this scripture and we look at what God is saying, he makes it clear to us. He says it is noise in his ears. Listen, I don't know about you, but I know that, you know, um, you know, sometimes you get, you know, you get around some kids and they just, you know, they don't know how to play an instrument or whatever the case is. They just love to bang and make noise. Glory to God. And, you know, for the first few moments, you know, when you're in a close proximity to the children, it's cute and it's okay. But after a few moments of that noise making, it begins to do something to you. Now, 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 look, it's cute when your child does it. You know, they're trying to show you a song they learn, glory to God. They come with a pot and they just bang it and they, you know, they're doing it. It's cute. It's, it's wonderful when they're at a certain age. But you know what? When they get, if you got a kid walking up to you, 17 years old, grabbing a pot, talking about, come on, Pop, I'm going to sing this song for you. You're going to be like, boy, let me... Why? Why is that? Because they know, they, they, they know better. They should know better. They should know that that ain't music. Hello. And can I tell you the same thing about the church today? We should know better, church. We should know that that ain't music in God's ears. And so now we're going to get down to some of the other stuff that's important. The second thing I want you to repeat after me is say a new definition of worship is not as important as identifying the reason. We are dealing with our present distortion. You see, we can, give a, we, we can give a good definition, but here's the problem. This is something that I realize. The church is great at redefining. The church is wonderful at reforming. In other words, it doesn't, it's not easy. But once the church starts in that process of all that, they, they, they're really good at all that stuff. But you know what they're really bad about? They're really bad about not falling into the same rut. They're really bad about not falling. Look, when you look at the whole, and, and I'll just use this as an example. When you look at the whole Martin Luther, the great reformation that took place. Martin Luther, he got the revelation. He was, you know, in the, in, in, in the diocese or whatever, in the whole Catholic church, one of the leaders, one of the teachers. And as he's studying this Bible and he's reading it, he's seeing that his Bible is not aligning with the commentaries that he's hearing. And so what does he do? He goes on ahead and he says, man, this cannot be like this. The just are supposed to live by faith. They're not supposed to be coming to some priest and doing this they're not and he and he he saw all of this stuff and he became the founding father of what we know today as the protestant movement in other words us that call ourselves protestant christians we come out of that movement there but here's the thing martin luther and them guys they got a revelation here but they didn't continue on building and they fell into what into the same traditions they just knew i mean you think about it and, and i mean you you look at stuff very simple stuff little things you look at presentation of children where does that come from i'm gonna tell you where it comes from it comes from a Protestant minister saying, you know what? The Catholic Church baptizes babies. So what we'll do is we'll just go ahead and we'll create another tradition. Hear me now. We'll create another tradition where we're not going to baptize them because, you know, baptism is for those who repent. Amen. Glory to God. But what we'll do is we'll just do a presentation. Listen, I don't have an issue with presentation. You want me to do a presentation? All right, fine. But here's the point. The point is I use it as an example. That is not something that you can find in the scriptures that has to happen. We've talked about this before. You go into the Old Testament and you find that it was the firstborn son that was presented. That was it. Hello? Y'all ain't saying nothing. It was the firstborn son. Was supposed to do what? Be presented at the age of uh, eight days old? And, and what was what? They were supposed to be circumcised, so present an offering, and that was it. After that, that was the end of the situation. But listen to me. We're great 
at redefining. So we'll get a new definition. This is what worship is. And we'll go, no, no, but see, well, we got to look at some of the issues here. So turn your Bible back to the book of John chapter 4. I want us to go through this, please. The book of John chapter 4. Praise the name of the Lord. When you got to say so. So the first thing we find here is that we got to look at this story. And we're going to look and see if we can find some things that will help to get us in the right direction. The first thing that we'll find in the story is that this woman is here coming to the well. And, you know, she's getting her water. Jesus begins to communicate to her. Tells her. Now, look, look what he says in verse 16. He says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have, you, you well, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. Mm-hmm. She's been a little busy. And the one, now listen to this, and the one to whom you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. So she was real busy and she's still getting busy. <laughs> she's she, she, she crazy like that. that, that's, how, that that's her thing, right? She's looking for love. She just hasn't found the right man, I guess. Look what happens. Verse 19, look what she says to him. She says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> In other words, you hit that one on the nail, you are reading my mail, glory to God. So now she tries to flip the, you know, script on him and like, I got to change the direction of this conversation. So since you're a prophet, let's talk about something holy, right? She's like, our fathers. <laughs> she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So what do we find here? The first thing we find is that everybody is worshiping something or someone. Everyone. Whether, whether we bow down to it, whether we sing to it, whether we cater to it, whatever it is. Some folks, they worship their job. Hello. It's not so much their job they worship. They worship money. Glory to God. Hello. Some folks, they worship their cars. Hallelujah. Got to keep that barrier. You know what I'm saying? Some people worship their own bodies. Hello, somebody. Listen, they will not miss their time at the gym. But ask them about their time in prayer. The Bible says that physical exercise is good for some things. But exercise in godliness is good for all things, for the promise of the life that now is and the one that is to come. Listen, going to the gym ain't get you to heaven. Mm -hmm. People are devoted to stuff. But the question is, are you really devoted to Christ? This woman here, she's got a question about worship. Listen, and it wasn't a dumb question. It was an educated question. This is important to notice. She, she knew locations. She had it all down. She said, you Jews say that worship is supposed to be in Jerusalem, but we say that it's supposed to be right here. She understood the theology of that day. She understood the main arguments that were going on. She had, she had a desire. She didn't, you know, I'm joking about it, saying she tried to flip it on him. I don't know if that was really her intention, but what I do know is that there was a sincerity in her question. There was a sense. She wanted to know where is real worship at? 
Since you're a prophet, you done told me about myself. Tell me about real worship because you know what? There's something inside of me that is seeking to be a true worshiper. And you know what? This is the reason why I'm sharing this because I know that inside of many of you, there is a desire to be that true worshiper. There is a desire to truly experience the fullness of what God wants in your life. There is a desire to know God in a way that you've never known him. And this is the message that you got to hear. You know why? Because you becoming that worshiper is going to unlock the fullness of what God wants in your life. I didn't say becoming a singer. Because that ain't, I, I, I want you to know we're going to get there. I believe in that being a part of worship. It is part of an expression of worship. But that is not the end of it. But we have this situation here where she is coming and she shows us that everybody, somebody's seeking worship. The second thing that we find is that history always repeats itself. What do you mean, Bishop? Look at her question. Her question is, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So what is she doing here? She is communicating what she has been taught. She is a Samaritan. She is not a Jew. And so she has been taught that the Jews believe this. Their denomination, so to speak, believes that you have got to go to Jerusalem to be considered a true worshiper. But us as Samaritans, we don't believe that. We don't believe in all of the prophets. See, because here's the reason why. See, the entire Old Testament pointed to Jerusalem as being the place of true worship. Well, the Samaritans, they didn't believe in the entire Old Testament. You know what they believed in? They believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible and so that was pointing to this place where Abraham made this this altar under God which is the mountain where they're standing and so what she's doing is she's saying listen this is the argument of the day this is what is going on so how does that apply to us today oh well you know salsa that's not of God hip-hop that's not the Lord hold on a second you can't worship God like that how can you that's not holy music Mm -hmm. You know what it is? It's just a reenactment of this right here. We're not talking about a location of worship. What are we talking about? We're talking about a style of worship. So which style suits me? Well, I like you see, because some people like hymnals. Some people, listen, there, there, there's some parts of the church that they do not believe that instruments are from God in the New Testament. Absolutely, they, 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 they will go. I, I, I actually have a friend, and I'll, I'll tell you the church, Metro Church up the street, and it's not to discredit them because they do two services. They have the morning service, which is the a cappella service, where they get up there, the, they do the harmonies and everything. They have no music. They just get up there, and they, and they rock it. I mean, really, really wonderful, very talented. Their afternoon service is their contemporary service, which is what they, you know, that denomination, that's what they believe. Pastor Dan is like, look, you know, I don't see the reason why we can't have music. And so, you know, they, they go ahead and they do that in the second service. Well, one of the older pastors that he's not there any longer, um, probably because of what I'm about to say. But anyway, he, he, he tells me one day we're, we're having a meeting and he says, yeah, he says, you know, I always tell everyone, you know, in the morning service, we're the Church of Christ. In the afternoon, I don't know what we are. Because in the morning service... We don't have music. We don't, we don't participate. So that's Church of Christ. But listen to me. It's the same situation here, church. It's the same exact scenario that we have going on here. This one here is just about a location. What do we argue about today? Style. Listen, let me say this to you. God can be worshipped through any means that is sanctifiable. What do I mean? You can't, you can't worship God in Rachel's. Hello. That, that, that's not going to happen. That, that's what I mean. That's not sanctifiable. You need to get saved and leave that place. Hello, somebody. 
Okay? I'm just, you know, whatever. I, I, that, that, that. But what I'm saying is, you can take rock music and sanctify it for Christ. Hello? You can take hip-hop and sanctify it for Christ. Because what? Because it is all about him. You can take the contemporary, you can take all of these different forms. You can worship him, however, when it comes to music. But listen to me, that is not the end, as well as the same thing here. It was not about where God was being worshipped. It wasn't about that. Jesus answered the question. So here's what happens. The first thing is we understand that everyone's looking to worship. The second thing is we see that history always repeats itself. And what happens here is that the enemy desires for us to focus on external things rather than internal things. He wants us to focus on temporary things rather than eternal things because he realizes that, the, that these things will keep us from fully connecting with the one we are worshiping. So what does he do here? He gets these people all caught up with a location and just for you. You got to go here to be a true word. You got to you, you got to do that. So he gets them caught up in that situation. And then what happens? They never really connect with God. They never truly connect with him. Look what he says in the next verse. He says in verse 21, he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. Verse 22 says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Did you hear what he said to her? You are all caught up in location, and you don't even know me. You are all caught up in a style, and you don't even know who you're worshiping. You are arguing about this and that and being separated by all the... But listen, you don't know me. That's amazing. We can be so dogmatic, so just passionate and adamant about this thing or that thing, and yet not know him. See, because when we know him, we understand what he's saying here. He's saying it's not about location. It's about relationship. It's not about where it happens. It's about where it comes from. Understand? It's not about the place that I am at. It's about where is my worship coming from? Is it coming out of my relationship with him? Or is it coming out of my obligation to do all this other stuff? So history repeats itself. The third thing we find in the story True worship is impossible without clear revelation of who God is. Listen to me. You can sing until your voice is gone. <laughs> you can know every single song that we sing. You can hear every preaching that has ever preached from this pulpit. You can go through all of that stuff, and none of it is going to make you a true worshiper. What makes you what makes me, what turns me from a singer into a worshiper is one thing, and that is revelation of who God is. 
You need revelation of who God is. And so what am I saying? Stop singing if you don't know who God is? No. I'm saying ask God to enter into your life. Submit to the source of his word. Submit to carrying your cross. Allow him to do what he wants inside of you. For what? So that way you can truly know him. And you can truly become this worshiper. The fourth thing that we find is that worship is not something you do. It is something you become. Look what he says. He goes on and he tells her, you worship what you do not know in verse 22. But we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And I want you to notice there too what he says. Because he didn't say that the Jews knew who they were worshiping. They knew what they were worshiping. The Jews still needed revelation of the Messiah. So he wasn't trying to say, he said, we know what we worship. We know why we're, because we got this full revelation of the scriptures. But it doesn't mean that they're totally right in all of this. But look what he says in verse 23. He said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So we go from doing an action to becoming an, act, an, an action. I'm, I'm helping. I'm, look, I'm, I want you to know I'm walking into the definition of what true worship is, okay? It is that we go from just doing something to being something. And if we want to have worship by the book, then we need to become something. We have to be transformed. He says this thing here. And the fifth thing, which is the final one, is that we cannot worship God outside of his element. What do you mean? Let's look at the next verse. The next verse says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. His element is spiritual, church. His element is spiritual. He is spirit. He is not seen. He is not touched with your hands. It is something that is spiritual that you have got to enter into. It's not just about coming and going through all the emotions in the natural. That will never touch his spirit. But he says something. He says God is spirit. And so what do we understand? He's spirit. He can't be worshipped in the flesh. Hello? I love Matt Redman in his book, The Unquenchable Worshipper, because as he's communicating some things, he's talking about what the best worship leaders are like. And he said, listen, the best worship leader is the one who gets out of the way the best. Did you hear that? The best worship leader is the one who gets out of the way the best. The one who takes the least attention off of what we are doing in worship. In other words, a person that we would say, that's, that's the greatest worship leader. The one that can hit those high notes and low notes and go all riffing all over the world. That would be for us the best worship leader. But God says, mm -mm. the best worship leader is the one that knows how to point at me the best. The one who knows how to bow the best and get the attention on me. The one who knows that a riff at that moment will take attention away from my presence. The one who understands by doing too much here will take away from what I'm trying to do in the midst of that place. That's what he says. He communicates this in, in this book. And I love the, the, those, those examples because what we've got to realize is what is God looking for? He's looking for someone to worship him in spirit. Now listen, I want you to know something. It is impossible to worship him in spirit. If your spirit is dead. Did you hear me? You cannot worship him in spirit unless you are born again. Glory to God. So that's the first thing. You cannot worship him in spirit if you are not born again. But then he says, and truth. His element. Remember, he's spirit. And what is God also? God is truth. 
He is all-knowing. Do you know what that means? That means that he cannot be worshipped out of falsehood, church. So you know what? You can't fool God. You can fool me. Listen, you come up into the house of the Lord, do backflips for Jesus. Jump, scream, and shout. But you know what he's been doing? He's been watching you all week long to see if your life has been the true definition of what worship is. The third thing, and I'm getting ready to close, is this. Repeat this after me, please. The only way to gain the correct definition of worship is to ask the only one who can correctly measure what he's looking for. Notice what the scripture says. The scripture says clearly, the father is seeking such to worship him. Throughout the entire New Testament, church, you know what we find? We find God seeking us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He came seeking us. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus communicates, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He says, no man can come to the Father except those whom the Father draws. In other words, it is about God pursuing us. And God is looking for something. He is looking for true worshipers. If you are not a true worshiper, if you do not have a real relationship with him, he is seeking you today and he wants you to begin this walk in this journey with him because he wants you to know him but he says that he's seeking something he's seeking worshipers and the basic and most simple definition of what a worshiper is by the book and you can write it down is found in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and it is the apostle Paul saying he says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That is the simple definition of what worship is. God is not looking for a sacrifice on Sunday or a sacrifice on Wednesday or a sacrifice on a Friday. He is looking for a living sacrifice Monday through Sunday. He is looking for a living sacrifice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He is looking for someone who is truly given to being that living sacrifice. Amen. We already looked at the scripture in the book of Amos. And he says to let justice flow, to let righteousness flow. And so what happens when we understand this? God clarifies for us what is righteous and what is justice. He tells us, take the noise away from me. He says, let righteousness flow like a stream. He says, let justice flow like a mighty river. This is, this is what he's communicating. He's saying, listen, he said, you want to you really worship me? Let righteousness be the standardness or let righteousness be the standard for your life. Let righteousness be the standard for the things that you do. Live and stand up for what is right. Live and stand up for what is just. Be a person who is committed to what? This word. Be a person who is committed. See, because here, here's, here, here's what happens, church. To stand for righteousness and justice requires something. First of all, it requires you to know what is righteous and what is justice. Where are you going to get that information from? Clue. Right here. Listen to me. 
You don't have to go into 40 days of fasting to get most of the answers that you need from God. Hello. What you need to do is stick your nose in this book and come before him and say, God, show me what you want. Show me your will. And when you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to begin to see what righteousness is. You're going to begin to see what justice is. And you're going to know what to do in those situations. Or you're going to know. And we're we, we, we going to talk about parenting, glory to God. We're going to talk about marriage by the book. Hallelujah. I love that time. I'm going to do like a four-week series on that one, glory to God. I'm going to spend two weeks on the women, two weeks on the men, praise the Lord. Just giving everybody a fine tune-up, hallelujah. Listen, you don't, you, don't, you, you, don't, you don't need to ask God, God, you know, and waiting for an audible voice. Why is he going to give you an audible voice? He gave you an inspired word. Hello. We're, wait, we're waiting so many times. God, I'm, I'm just waiting for God to speak to me. Why does God need to speak to you, you know, in an audible voice? Or, or still, why, why does he need to talk to you like that? He speaks to the rest of us right here. Hello. Mm-hmm. He's got to rewrite the word for you. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that's how some of us act. Like he's got to re-inspire the word. Hello. So when we get into this word, we do what? We understand the standards. We understand what righteousness is. We understand what justice is. And then here's what happens. Because we understand the standard. Then the next thing that occurs in our life is because carrying our cross is the only way that we are going to be able to consistently walk in righteousness. You know what we begin to do? We begin to carry our cross. We begin to deny ourselves. We begin to lay those things down because in order for me to stand up for justice, sometimes it's going to be painful. Sometimes it's going to be me all by myself. Hello? And I'm going to have to do it because of what? Because this is what he says he wants to flow from us, righteousness and justice. And then bearing our cross, listen to this, bearing our cross is the key. It is the key to us being living sacrifices, a consumed offering that is releasing the father's favorite sound, true worship. Remember when Pastor Rob was talking about carrying that cross and he was talking about balancing it. And when I was, I was sitting there and I was listening to him speak, I said, you know, the only way that you can really balance that cross is the lower you get to the ground, the easier it is to balance that cross. And isn't that what, what worship is? Well, that's what that word proskuneo, the one that he says there that he uses in the book of John, when he says the Father is seeking those who will worship, what, what, the, the, the worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. That word worship is the word proskuneo. And what does it mean? It means to bow down. It literally gives us a picture of a dog licking his master's hand. That's the picture of that word. Why is it that a dog licks his master's hand? Because he wants his master's attention. He wants his master's affection. And you know what? Here's what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to be over there, you know, licking God's hand. Don't go in your prayer closet, you know, doing craziness. Look, because I can already see people, you know, Lord, I'm just licking your hand. But look, listen, 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 don't, don't, don't get crazy on me here. All right. <laughs> licking the microphone. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. The way that you exercise like that, the way that you would lick God's hand is not by literally doing that. It is every time that you obey what he commands, you are demonstrating, Lord, I want your favor. 
Lord, I want your affection. Every time you do what he is requiring of you in the word, that is you showing him you're my master and I want your touch in my life. You are my king. You are my Lord. And I want to be that living sacrifice that is demonstrating that I am a true worshiper, church. See, when you carry that cross, that is the key to that sound that has got to come from our lives. Our lives have got to become that worship. See, and this is why this is so important because I want you to realize that worshiping in song is simply, it is simply one of the expressions of worship that should come out of our lives. And if we want our song, see, because too many of us, we depend primarily on song to worship God. But what we've got to realize is that when I am serving my spouse, I am literally releasing a fragrance of worship unto to the throne room of God that is sometimes more important than all the songs that I sing all week long. When I am doing something to obey my parents, when I am doing something that is honoring a teacher, when I am doing something that is honoring my family, when I'm doing those things, many times that fragrance of worship is more intense. And you know what happens? This is the beauty of it, is that when we get a hold of what it really means to be a worshiper, when we come together as a people to worship, there's no fighting for a breakthrough. You want to know why? Because you've been worshiping him all week. You may not have been singing to him all week with words, but your life has been singing to him all week. Your life has been re releasing a fragrance of worship. So when you come together, you're not waiting for a breakthrough because you've been in his presence all week. But see, here's the other thing that we don't see is that if I'm not that true worshiper, every time that I'm nasty to my spouse, you know what I'm doing? I'm grieving the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Amen. See, every time that I am not operating in righteousness, you know what I'm doing? I'm grieving the spirit of God. Every time that I am not standing for justice, I am dishonored and I am disconnecting my worship from him. And so you know what that means? That means that I am becoming more desensitized, more separated from him. So you know what I got to do? I got to fight. I got to sit there. It takes me 30 20 minutes. Sometimes the worship is not long enough for me to get into that place. Listen, can I tell you something? And, and listen, I, I do not say this in any way, shape, or form to boast, but let me just explain this to you. I'm not waiting to get into God's presence when I sit down. Not here, because here it's, it's tough. You know, I got all kind of emotions and nervousness running all over the place. Glory to God. But when I sit down in my house, I'm not sitting down there waiting for God's presence. I'm walking in God's presence. And as I sit down, all I'm doing is just engaging. What I'm doing is, is I'm taking my focus off of everything else around me. And I'm just focusing 100% on him at that moment. But see, a true worshiper is one who is going to do what? Who is going to remain focused on him and realizes that. That Jesus said it clearly. If you give a cup of water to one of the least of these, you've done this for me. So what does that mean? That when I am doing things that are blessing and honoring other people, what am I doing? I am blessing and honoring God. And it is important that we understand that that is worship by the book, church. That we would be a people that are these living sacrifices. I love what Jesus said. He said, true worshipers will worship. And I wish that he would just put a period there and just said, true worshipers will worship. Why do I say that? Because true worshipers, they will worship with 
or without. They will worship alone or accompanied. They will worship in the good and in the bad. They will worship no matter what the situation is. And what I mean by worship is I don't mean sing. I mean they will sing a song in their lives that no matter what is going on around them, they will do what is right because they are not doing it because of him, her, they, or them. They are doing it because of the king of glory. That's what a true worshiper is, church. Let's all stand to our feet, please. Bow your heads unto the Lord. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus.